in week four of our passage way in our journey into Mark's gospel. Today we look at Jesus' radical call to the ordinary. Uh, the word Christian has become kind of meaningless in our society, which is very noticeable that we are non-essential. Yeah. Very noticeable. A TV show that just fall had its fall preview this week called Filthy Rich has been produced to ridicule what the people of God have made of the good news of Jesus Christ. It, it take, it's a take of drama and comedy on TV evangelists. We have turned the gospel of liberating the oppressed, the poor, the imprisoned, the weak, and the vulnerable into a gospel of materialism and consumerism and entertainment, and it's my right. We have created a world of so-called Christian celebrities by our financial support of their books and their music and their TV and radio enterprises, their podcasts. And it doesn't look at all of what Christianity should look like. Today in our passage, Mark draws our attention to the simple, to the ordinary. If the Apostle Paul or Jesus or the disciples were to come back today and see what is going on in the church of God, they will be surprised. There's only four things that really still stand out today as they did back there, and that's the Word of God, prayer, and the Lord's table, and baptism. They will recognize that everything else will change and disappear, and what we enjoy today will change and disappear. Sure. So we've got to really focus on what is essential to our growth in Jesus Christ. So Mark is full of miracle stories. He, there's narratives of Jesus casting out demons. Wouldn't you like to see some of that happening? <laughs> miracle stories. Him walking on water. Yet he doesn't start his gospel with any of those. He starts his gospel with a trip to the seashore. He could have had a really good start in the gospel. He could have had something really fantastic, but he draws our attention to the simple. And I think there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. He doesn't go to Rome. He doesn't go to Athens. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the aristocrats of Rome and Greeks and the Jewish people. He went to the simple and normal people who happened to be fishing. Who happened to be fishing. He goes by the Sea of Galilee. And Mark informs us this on the truth of discipleship. He says, he doesn't say this, but this is what he's trying to say. Discipleship isn't Jesus to help with your agenda. Hello? But aligning yourself to submit to the king. The story is about King Jesus, not about us. It's about him. Are you submitting to the agenda of the king or not? He wants to make that very clear at the beginning of his gospel. And that's why we're still in chapter one. Yeah. Jesus' call to discipleship makes only sense if he has the authority to interrupt your life. Is he worthy Amen. to interrupt your life? Like they interrupted the life of these early disciples that were fishermen. Does he have that right? See, we have in Mark 1, 16 to 20, an ordinary story with extraordinary implications. Immediately after we find out the identity of Jesus at his baptism, then what Pastor Benny talked about last week about repent and believe in the kingdom of God, the message of good news. It's only two verses in our Bibles, but be assured that Jesus spoke more than 19 words there. 
That's 19 words in English. See, the preaching of the kingdom follows Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and it leads us into this passage today, this radical call of ordinary people, his selection of his first disciples. Followers of Jesus are going to have to learn a different value system than the culture in which they were surrounded with. The Messiah, unlike the filthy rich TV show, refuses to assert his authority by pomp and pageantry. Hello? Jesus goes public, but without glitzy fanfare. No strobe lights, no lights that are darkened in the room. He goes ordinarily in the sun that his father created, and he goes to the seashore. And he goes to the seashore. From the very beginning, Jesus knew he couldn't do it all by himself. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, God, when he created the world, knew that he didn't want to manage it by himself, and he made us in his image. There's an alignment between the Old Testament and the New Testament here, or the First Testament, as we rather call it. He needed help. He needed to form a new tribe of 12 in whom he could unburden his heart for the world and they could carry that, carry that burden with them. And instead of students selecting their teacher, Jesus initiates the relationships with those he wanted to follow, who wanted to follow him. See, what was custom at that time was this person would choose Gamal, or this one would choose Hillel, and they, they would choose the rabbis that they wanted to study with, very much like our students who go to university, check out who's teaching the subject, and that's who they decide to sit under. But in this passage, Jesus is picking out the people. Jesus sees, Jesus summons. Jesus looks, and Jesus calls. And it all started with a simple stroll along the Sea of Galilee. And he decides to launch his kingdom ministry in that matter. Wow, isn't that different than what we are accustomed to or what we expect today? It's kind of weird and it's kind of ridiculous, but that's the type of Jesus we serve. Right. Weird in a good sense, ridiculous in a good sense. The ordinary are called by Jesus. Simon and Andrew, as we heard the word of the Lord, were casting a, a net into the lake. For they were fishermen, and that's what fishermen do, right? They cast their nets. Fish. And then Jesus turns the story upside down with these words. Come, follow me. That's it. No singing a chorus for the hundredth time. No singing 20 songs on Sunday morning. Three words. Come, follow me. And to get the emphasis of come, it says, come on! And they dropped their nets and they followed him. Now, we become so accustomed to these words that we, we lose the impact. We, we just treat them as, okay, Jesus said, come follow me, and they followed him. And, and we, we fail to read it and enter into the story, dropping everything to follow him. For life on a road, of all places, now, I don't know how many people you know that would take a stroll down to Northport and go where those boats are all lined up and says, hey, come follow me. I don't think you get much result, will you, Derek? <laughs> come follow me. I don't believe if Jesus came in the flesh today and he said those words, if he would have the same result as he did with these men by the Sea of Galilee. This didn't make sense to them. Can you imagine the discussion going on between Mark, between uh, Jesus and Simon and Peter? Are you talking to us? 
Are you talking to me? And Robert De Niro said, you want me to do what? Leave my nets and follow you? Who the heck are you? He's a total stranger. Do you know who we are? Simon, Peter, we're brothers. And you know, our fathers were fishermen. Our great-grandfathers were fishermen. Our grandfathers were fishermen. Our great-great-great-great-great-great-great. We've all been part of a fishing enterprise for centuries. And you're telling me to drop these nets and follow. Who in the heck are you anyway? See, we know it's Jesus. We're reading it. But remember, these guys, they don't know it's Jesus. This is what people say that's part of Mark's gospel. It's a messianic secret. Shh. We're let in on a secret, but they don't know what's going on. Jesus' call is simple, it's direct. Come, follow me. You know what's really extraordinary in this passage? When the prophets were looking for mentors to pour themselves into, they didn't say, come and follow me. Isaiah never said, come and follow me. Jeremiah never said, come and follow me. Ezekiel never said, come and follow me. They said, come and follow God with me. And now a total stranger appears on the Sea of Galilee and he says, follow me. Who does he think he is? God? God? You know the answer. These guys don't know the answer. And yet they drop their necks and follow him without fighting for it, without having any questions. What's it going to be? Where are we going? Always Jesus says, follow me. If you want to find out, you've got to follow you think I'm going to give you a Google map to find out our destination and how long it takes to get there? No. Follow me. Jesus speaks with authority. And Pastor Betty will deal with that next week. And we know that he's God in the flesh. All he's wanting from you is are you willing to follow him? Follow him with total abandonment. There's no bright lights here. There's no rolling thunder. There's no angel. There's no special effects from the TV producer. Simply a simple man, a blue-collar guy, talking to workers on the sea and says, Come on, follow me. Now, who's going to respond to a call like that? Who's going to be so stupid to believe this total stranger and follow him? Well, are you ready for the startling response? At once, they drop their nets and they follow him. How long does it take you to respond to God? At once, they drop their nets and follow the total stranger. They didn't know who he was. They left their nets, went forward, no hesitation, no turning back, as if to emphasize the occurrence. It happens again with James and John. He went a little farther. Simon and Peter are behind him. And then he stops and speaks to John. And James, another set of brothers, says, come on, follow me. What did they do? The same thing. Immediately they dropped the nets and began to follow this stranger. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Moth's gospel, contrary to other calling accounts, is focused on one thing. They're a little bit different. But Mark's concerned about the urgency of rescuing men and women for God. Mark is concerned about the response that will be wholehearted and total abandonment. And in typical Markan fashion, this is immediately, at once, no running around the bush or beating around the bush. What's your answer, yes or no? You tell me, don't tell me I'm gonna call you tomorrow. Don't tell me you need orientation seminar to figure it all out, if it's worth it or not. 
Don't tell me you need a detailed pattern or brochure. Should I go to Kingswood? Should I go to Ambrose? Should I go to Northern Seminary? Should I go to Regent College in Vancouver? Which teachers are teaching there that I can sit under their feet? No, no time for that. Now, make a decision. Follow me. Yes or no. What's your answer? What's your answer? Didn't these guys know that you're not supposed to speak to a stranger and that they might lead you into real difficult situations? Did you notice that he called four hardworking men? They knew the value of hard work. It's very important here. That's right. When God's looking for workers, he wants the ones that are going to step up to the plate. That's right. That's important here. We kind of just brushed that over here, but four hardworking people that hear the voice and respond to the voice. See, the fishermen were not leaving the family because the, the low, there was low prices on the fishing market. <laughs> they were not leaving the the, the family fishing, fishing enterprise, I was trying to say before anyway, because business was going bad. They left well-paying jobs because John and Jane's father, Zibidi, is also mentioned there. He had hired hands, so to have hired hands, you got to have some money. They're not rich, rich, rich. They're not poor, poor, poor. They're somewhere there along that scale. But one of the key elements in Jewish life is you honor your father, you honor your mother, you honor your parents. The first promise with longevity. If you honor your parents, promise to have long life. I won't go there. So not only do we have a loss of economic security here, but there's a rupture in the social fabric of an extended family life. The four men are leaving their family business that they engaged in for so many years was an act of dishonoring their parents. How dare you leave us behind, John and James? Look, I got hired hands and I'm, I'm getting old, Zimbabwe said, and you're just going to follow this total stranger? This is revolutionary. This is radical here. And we tamed it. We tamed it into a flannel board Jesus. And God have mercy on the church for taming it. The call to follow Jesus was radical because it meant leaving family. Steady income for life on the road. You know what life on the road is? A hobo life. You know what a hobo is? Somebody just used to, in the old days, used to get on one train and get off and, and hope and pray they caught the next train. You ever tried to jump on a train? No. They go slow and you try to run where that door was open and you try to jump. Okay. You're missing out on life. <laughs> is Jesus worth it? Is he worthy to leave it all behind? Everything the culture said was worthy they were successful. They packed up their, their they had to really pack up their bags. They just left. They left the bags behind and everything in the story here. Remember Abraham? He too had no clue where he was headed. When the promised child was born, all God gave us was a promise of a seed. Someday you will have a child born of Sarah. He too was told to leave his family. He too was told to leave comfort. He too was told to leave security and follow God. And Abraham simply followed God with no detailed instructions in his hand. No protocol in his, in his hands. Do this, do that, and you step three and four and so on and so on. My repaired uh, remote just busted again. Anyway, they brought their nets and they followed him. It all begins with a tug of the heart, the voice of God speaking to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. The tug of the heart. Yeah. 
God grabbing you from the inside, speaking to you week after week, week after week, week after week. Are you going to drop your nets? 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 And some of you have heard that voice for a thousand times or more, and you still haven't dropped your nets. You still haven't dropped your nets. You have to be like that TV show of the voice, right? They've got their backs turned to the singer, and when there's a voice that they know is, is good, they bang that buzzer and they turn around. And in our spirit, we have to have the same experience when we hear the voice of God to open our eyes and, and our ears and, and hear that God is speaking to us. Do you hear God speaking to you today? Amen. Hello? Amen. Hello? The call of God, if they hear His voice, there's obedience and renunciation. No one says he needs a few days to make a decision and seek some counsel from the rabbi. They simply follow him. Jesus speaks and things come to be. That's got to be God. That's right. Jesus speaks and things come to be. Jesus, Jesus, God says, world come into existence and world comes into existence. Light comes into existence. Stars come into existence. People come into existence. Animals come into existence. Plants come into existence. God speaks. And now this Jesus speaks. Is he God? Is he God? Is he? See, to be a disciple of Jesus is more a gift than an achievement. These fishermen from Galilee have been caught up in the nets of God's grace, and it will transform their lives forever. Amen. Isn't it great to be caught up in the grace of God's nets? Amen. And let him transform us from the inside out. It's not a call to shrink your life. Some people think when you answer the call of God, it just takes all those extra things that I love to do away from me. No, it's not a call to shrink your life. It's a call to expand your life. To see things the way God sees things. To see the panoramic view that God has of the world that he created and the people that he created in his image. And to be called to participate in the health of that community called human beings. So I remember as we had our garage sale before we left to go to Bible college in Europe. And Pastor Debbie's parents were there, Keith and Nina and her, mo uh, her mother. And then all of a sudden, we looked in the midst of the garage sale, and they were weeping there. They were weeping there. And we didn't understand what they were weeping other than they knew we were going to study in Europe. And they said these words, we prayed for you to get saved, not to get called. <laughs> we prayed for you to get saved, not to get called. Some of you are praying for your children to get saved, but you don't want them to get called. Because you know how pastors are treated, don't you? Don't you? Don't you don't think I'm saying this because I'm retired. I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. You're praying for your kids to get saved but not to get called? Watch out how you pray. Watch out how you pray. Imagine yourself clutching the tightly woven cords of the fishing nets. How familiar they feel, how secure. Jesus is standing near you gazing at you with a look of invitation that's somehow irresistible. He's asking you to let go of the nets and find security in him. Amen. And some of you have experienced this a few times in your life, and you're tempted to shrug it off like maybe you're doing right now. And then Jesus comes again and says the exact same thing. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I have a question for you today. What do you need to relinquish in order to conform your heart to the heart of Jesus in his kingdom call? Is he worthy? Is he 
worthy. See, one must not only repent and believe what Betty Lou, Betty Lou, Pastor Betty said last week. See, talk about your parents and I'm back to the Newfoundland. But anyway, one must not only repent and believe, but must, one must be also ready to leave all behind and to follow at any moment. That's right. At any moment. You think it was easy for us to pack up all our things and to be separated from our parents for nine years? And to stay there in good times and in bad times? And in sickness and in health, we experience all that. And raising two new, new children that the grandparents didn't even lay eyes on? It's not easy, but when God says, go, you go. Right. You go. Have we left that aspect of the evangelical church out as we're engaged in all this glitzy fanfare that's going out in our world today? And we forgot the simple message of God calling and total abandonment. Repent, believe, get ready to leave, and follow. Follow. The ordinary. Can you go to the next slide? Because this became a part again. The ordinary call to missions. Jesus summons to a distinctive kind of service to make us fishers of men. Now here's some good news. Not all of us are called to leave everything. Some are called to stay behind. Remember, you know the family that Jesus loved to visit, especially in the Gospel of John? The family from Bethany, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Jesus hanging around, they were local missionaries. Just because they didn't leave didn't mean that they didn't answer the call. That's right. Yeah? But they were totally committed to the Lord. That's right. Totally surrendered to the Lord. And we know later on in the passage that these guys, they came back to fishing every once in a while. Whether that was God's plan for them or not, that's a different story. The key is be ready to leave at any moment. Are you ready to leave at any moment? Any moment. To drop what you're doing and follow Jesus. For these disciples to follow Jesus, they have to demonstrate a willingness to allow their identity, their status, and their worth to be primarily determined in relationship to Jesus. Not the stock market. Not the TV movie industry, not the fashion industry. I am who I am because of who I am in Jesus. Hello? Amen. Hello? Amen. And then what Mark is setting us up for, and Pastor Benny will deal with it more next week, is to be engaged in a holy warfare. He gets his disciples, and then the next scene is he ends up in the synagogue and he casts a demon from a demon possessed person in the synagogue. Wow. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Yeah. These guys were specially selected by Jesus, and they will become his inner circle. And you find that in other passages, the Mount of Transfiguration and all that stuff too. And that'll come later on in the series. But I think for the Gospel of Mark, there is no call without a mission. Hello? I know it's Alabaster Sunday. I know Thanksgiving is coming. I know the emphasis is on mission. But this is here because God told us to do this story of Mark. And that is the call. There's no call without a mission, and there's no salvation without service. That's right. Hello? That's Even right. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I come to serve. That's right. James would have said that works without faith without works is dead. But I think Mark's attitude is just the same. No salvation without service. We're called to serve, to become fishers of men. It's a call in which we are to spend ourselves and burn ourselves up for the glory of God for the wonder of his name. We might not all be called to a profession, but we all have a vocation. That's right. Hello? That's right. 
We might not be called to the profession of pastoral ministry or chaplaincy or missionary, but we're all called to the vocation to drop the nets if necessary and follow the king. Amen. His name is King Jesus. Amen. King Jesus. These guys should have known this prophetic uh, parts in the, in, in the First Testament that talk about catching men. Jeremiah 16, 16. But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. It's a passage that deals more with, with judgment, to catch them and bring them to God for judgment. But in this case, it's completely opposite. It's to catch men so that they might be benefit from the grace of God in Christ Jesus and become members of the community of faith called the kingdom of God. He turns it upside down. Jesus sees, Jesus summons, and people respond. Have you responded? Have you responded to total abandonment? Total abandonment. Not your wishes, but God's wishes for you in Christ Jesus. For the East Lake episode, we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we know the words there. The cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me. Hello? Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Is that your attitude this morning? Be honest. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, and you have something else in mind, and he's saying, drop it. Follow me. Trust me. Amen. Trust me. See, instead of making disciples who follow the crucified and risen Christ, we have contributed to the wealth of the scandal-laced Christianity that we see in North America. We have built musical worship warehouses in its place. And instead of evangelists, we have produced marketeers. That's right. If you do this, this is how your church will grow. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. I don't want the church to grow for the church to grow's sake. I want people to become like Jesus and grow a Christ. Hello? Amen. Hello? Because if we have that, then it doesn't matter what fad comes in and out of style. And we are dedicated and totally abandoned to God then we will be in the favor of the Lord. And that's where I want to stand, underneath the favor of the Lord, underneath the wings Amen. of his covering. Churches, we are not in a drought of leadership. We're in a drought of discipleship. Discipleship. We have so many DVD video studies you can do. We have so many versions of the Bible out there. We have so many speakers on podcasts and, and and books at the bookstore and on Amazon or whatever site you want to go. It's not about more of that. It's about saying there and as Jesus' voice is speaking to you, you drop it and you say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I will obey. Yeah, I will obey. I'll go with you, with you all the way. Amen. When people persecute you, I'm still with you, Lord. When people abandon you, I'm still with you, Lord. When people ridicule you and persecute you, I'm still with you, Lord. Can you hang in for Jesus? Amen. Can you hang in for Jesus? I'll close with this story. It's a little bit long. I'm not asking for any excuses or any forgiveness. It's comical, but it's real. Because it's happened similar times in the church. A pastor tells this story. I received a phone call first thing one morning, and the person on the line said with obvious excitement, I need to see you. Come over this morning. I need to have breakfast with you and have my hair done. So how does 11 o'clock sound? So it's not a man. It's definitely not me. 
I learned some time before that she was not a person to be trifled with. When she ordered me to appear at her house, I appeared at her house pronto. As soon as I arrived, I was directed to sit at her lime green sofa. And she told me, I've called you over here because the most wonderful thing has happened. I have personally, right before my eyes, as big as life, just like you sitting here in front of me right now, I've seen Jesus. And he said, really? In amazement, really? A good PR word, isn't it? Really? Yes, you thought this kind of thing only happened to the TV preacher, she goes on. But it's happened to me. You probably think I'm lying, don't you? No, no, why would you when I think that? Well, it happened. Last night, George and I had been out to dinner to that new Italian place on the edge of town. I'd eaten too much, really had bad indigestion, was up and down all night. I'm sure you know what I mean, Pastor. Yes, she figured the pastor was praying for her. I don't know. Well, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, that's a holy hour. 3 o'clock in the morning is a holy hour. I just sat straight up in bed, and I thought I heard something or someone call my name. At first, I thought it might have been the indigestion. But there, right at the foot of my bed, there he was. Jesus. Jesus. As big as life. Actually, a little bigger, bigger than life. My Lord, he was dressed in white, shining, just like he is in the third window from the left on the right side of the church. He said, just as clearly I'm going to speak to you, Gladys. I said, here I am, Lord. Or words to that effect. And he said, Gladys, follow me. I have work for you to do. And then he was gone. As quick as he came in the room, he was gone in a flash. I want you to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus was to respond and to do his work totally, completely, without holding back. Well, I said, that's wonderful. Only a few of us received some visions, the pastor said. And I am too happy to help you think through the ways that you can serve the Lord. So the pastor and Gladys begin the discussion on how she can serve the Lord in the local church. Well, let's see. Have you thought about teaching, he says to her. The Bible study group lost its leader last month. You might be just the one to lead the Bible study group. Bible study group, she exclaimed. Me teach that very group who are so snobby? When George and I first moved here, I would like to tell them a thing or two. You wouldn't want me to teach that crowd. No, 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 no. That's not for me. Okay, the pastor thought for a little bit more. He said, oh, okay, I'll see. see. How about the little kids in Sunday school? You know, we really have a problem getting folks who can keep the little kids, you know, in their proper place. Preacher, she interrupts. Have you lost your mind? Can't you remember visiting me in the hospital last year when my back went out? That would be suicide for me. Don't you know that working with little kids means bending down, sitting on the floor, even lifting them up? My back hurts just thinking about it. Besides, what? Besides wiping snotty noses makes me Okay, I get the picture, the pastor said. How about a computer? I heard you were a secretary. Uh, she make a thousand excuses for that. And the pastor went through another one and through another one and through another one and through another one. Attempts to figure out what Jesus might have in mind when he asked her to go to work for the kingdom of God. Finally, in exasperation, he says, look, why don't you just think about it? Maybe visit that Italian restaurant once again. Perhaps you can have another vision. And next time, would you do me a favor? 
Don't let him get out of your bedroom without telling you exactly what he wants you to do for him, okay? It's kind of comical, but isn't that the story of our life? I'll do anything for you, Jesus. Would you do this? No, 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 that's not for me. <laughs> See, Gladys has a problem that a lot of us have. She heard the call of Jesus with, and her response was initially enthusiastic. And somehow the enthusiasm dwindled and faded. And the Jesus that she fell in love with initially, the Jesus that she was willing to drop everything for somehow, he didn't matter anymore. He didn't matter to her. I think we learned a great lesson from the story, don't we? The response after. The response is the main thing for us, to follow after you hear the call. That's right. These three seasoned fishermen simply responded to the call of Jesus, no half-hearted commitment. They embarked on a mystery tour with Jesus without knowledge of a destination. They simply followed the man who was God made in the flesh, even though they didn't know it yet. To paraphrase the words of John F. Kennedy, you remember President John F. Kennedy said, do not ask what your country can do you, ask what you can do for your country. Let's tie that into discipleship. Ask not what the Church of Jesus Christ can do for you, but what can you do for the Church of Jesus Amen. Christ? Amen. One thing we learned in this pandemic a pandemic can cancel your plan, said Alex Medina, but it cannot cancel your purpose. We're still called. I have one question remaining. One question. Is he worthy? Not if I'm worthy, not if this local church is worthy, not if our denomination is worthy. Is he worthy? Stop with the excuses and get totally abandoned for the cause of Jesus Christ as the Amen. worship team comes Amen. 